It's a matter of life. It's a matter of death. It's a matter of a beautiful Italian spy, seven killers, a voodoo witch doctor, a living corpse, a gorgeous double agent, 12 cars, five planes, 10 acres of land, a wedding reception, a double-decker bus, a fleet of speedboats, a sea of crocodiles, the beautiful sorceress named Solitaire, the man with a steel arm, and a retired Navy LST, all against one man. My name's Bond, James Bond. Roger Moore is James Bond 007. In Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die, 007 is on a worldwide manhunt, and the body count is going up. It's livelier, it's deadlier, it's Roger Moore as James Bond 007 in Live and Let Die. From United Artists, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Live and Let Die. We are again, back after two weeks. Been two weeks already. Been two weeks already. It's a late, late, late Saturday night. Uh, I beat. I know. I know. Uh, my parents, my dad drove us to the video store today, and uh, you know we were able to. We were. We didn't know what to, again to uh, to figure out to do this week. You know, because when you get to the video store, and you always go in there with a plan, but then you know you, you have the racks and racks, and it's like you don't know. You know, you you, you figure you have to the, the genre. Are you going to do new release? Or yeah, you're yeah. genre that bad boy, and then what genre? What are you in the mood for? for? You know, and then some video stores are better than others. You know, uh, I used to work at a video store up in Connecticut, Tommy K's, and you know, it's one thing if you have an action section, but then sometimes you have a thriller, you have a fantasy, sci-fi, you have all these subgenres, classics, and you know, then there's other ones that even go even more specific, film noir. So it's like you know, it's 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 interesting sometimes, I guess, what movies are labeled where, and we, you and I, always talk about like one of the. Uh, underrated John Carpenter movies is Memoirs of an Invisible Man with Chevy Chase and um, Daryl Hannah and uh, our man um, what's his face from Jurassic Park Sam Neill Sam Neill God bless Sam Neill who has a great winery now that he's on uh, Twitter he, he does his own wines uh, that was always in the comedy section yeah. for some reason because Chevy Chase is in it but it's not a comedy no the other thing that's what mov- other movie that was always in the comedy section which I thought was weird was American Werewolf in, in London why was that in the comedy section I don't know. I just remember going to video stores. It always seemed like it was in the comedy section, not in the horror section. And you would think that, like... because John Landis directed it, maybe? But, you know, that's another thing where it's like, you know what, for, for the John Landis fans out there, you know, uh, I, I think he, you know, he does have street cred. I'm not in any way disputing it, but he, correct me if I'm wrong, but he did pretty much a slew of comedies, you can say, up until American Werewolf in London. Yeah. And then he did American Werewolf in <coughs> London, and then after that... He became like the horror aficionado. Like he's 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 always the go-to guy. They with, interview him. Yeah, stuff, with yeah. Carpenter. It's like Carpenter, Romero, and maybe even Wes Craven. And then Landis is in there. And I mean, you know, I love American Werewolf in London, but it's weird that you know he's done stuff since then. He did like True Simple Simple Blood. Uh, what's the one? Uh, yeah, the vampire comedy. Yeah, and the with uh, Robert Loja. Yeah, and Don Rickles and all that. Uh, Blood Simple, not Blood no, Simple. It's not Blood Simple. I, I know keep, the movie. Well, well, I'll <laughs> think of the damn the darn movie. Uh, and then he did some stuff in the early two thousands. But like, it's like he never really. He was a comedy guy. You know, he did the Twilight Zone movie. He killed Vic Morrow. <laughs> and then he, you know, and then he did you know some other stuff. But it's like he's amigos. always. It's weird that he's always the. You know, he's slated to be the. Uh, but I feel like he's always interviewed as like. 
an expert and not as you know one of them you know yeah. what i mean yeah it's weird but for, he, the, for the oh, most oh part. yeah so he's i guess because he's kind of a historian he knows his shit so he's always talking about like so, karloff or yeah he's like they're talking you know as you know as a like i said as an like a, an expert in the subject and not that, so much that's as true a that, movie director. yeah that does he he did a horror film so that gives him the street cred to talk on the subject so i okay you're right i guess that does justify why he's always in there that tears uh, it that tears it um but I guess this this week we have, we're not doing horror. But I <laughs> <laughs> no, so have to excuse me because I'm once again under, under the, weather. the weather. Yeah, we we had the windows open this time uh, because we tried to get. The well, it seemed like it was going to be so nice. We opened those windows. Yeah, and they got all draft. You know, night. we have to remember that we, we can't stop have sleeping right next to the open window. Yeah, we can't have Blake next to the uh, the open window when we're trying to do these movies. Uh, so we picked an action movie for this time around, and it's really weird too because um, it is not an action movie I thought we would have done first and. What I mean by that is, like, you know, uh, you were a big Stallone fan growing up. We were, we were both big Arnold fans growing yeah, up. Yeah. I was a big Seagal fan growing up. And we go with a Van Damme movie. <laughs> Somehow Van Damme movie ended up. And not only that, it's a Van Damme movie which I never saw. And it's not because I never wanted to see it. I think out of the, uh, out of the class of Van Damme movies, I think it's, it's, it's up there with something It was really interested to me. It just fell through the cracks and it's just something I never saw. Um, and we're, we're talking about Hard Target. Hard Van Target. Damme's Hard Target. John Woo, directed by the great John Woo from 1993. Uh, John Woo's first... Uh, American movie. American movie. And, like, the first major Hollywood... as a, From what I understand, the first, like, major Hollywood motion picture directed by, like, someone from China. Oh, okay. Wow, that's pretty interesting as well. And I, I guess that's all uh, a credit to Van Damme at the time, because Van Damme had met him... While he was in Hong Kong shooting maybe Double Impact or something, and he met him, and then he brought him over. And well, he was a big fan of Wu's work, and so he wanted to meet him. But the, you know, I don't even know if it was that so much Van Dam that brought him over. I feel like it was just he had had such a big splash with things like Hard Boiled and uh, The Killer. And well, I guess Van Dam talking about street cred had a lot of street cred in the early nineties because he had a slew of successes. So like he, could, I guess he kind of had a, uh, you know, he can have a saying because later on I, we find out. When they got into the post-production of this movie, Van Damme and the producers kind of like uh, stuck, locked themselves in an editing room for two days and kind of evidently Wu's final cut of this movie was well over two hours. Yeah. And there was a lot more of a development between Lance Henriksen's character and um, our other guy, Arnold uh, Vosto, the guy who ends up being in the Mummy movies. I, who I call the Zanaby. Yeah, I always felt like he's a poor man's Billy Zane. He is a poor man's Billy Zane. I mean, he he plays a great role in this movie. But uh, Randall, <laughs> they ha- they have they have a great interaction in this movie, and Pick. Uh, yeah, and uh, and then what Lance Henriksen is Van Cleef. No, his name's like uh, Emile Vachon. Because one like of the that. bad guys is Van Cleef, and it's a clear uh, uh, Lee Van Cleef. I guess an homage to Lee Van yeah, Cleef's yeah. character in the third. Eastwood Spaghetti Western, which sure is really the only good, bad, and the ugly. But anyway, the the cut was over two hours, and there was a lot more development of Hendrickson's and uh, Arnold uh, Vosto's uh, Vostu. I'm probably pronouncing his movie his name wrong, and everyone's looking <coughs> at me. Uh, but uh, Van Damme said people want to go see a Jean Claude Van Damme <laughs> movie; they don't want to go see a Lance Hendrickson movie. And I will I would debate that because I'm such a Van, uh, Lance Van, uh, Lance Hendrickson. Oh yeah, I mean you and I wait Lance Hendrickson fans from way back. Yeah, I mean some ter- from the Terminator. You and know? to be honest, I mean he's so good in this movie. He is, you know, I mean you could call it overacting, <laughs> but I think at the time it, it is so apropos, it is so appropriate, and uh, he really makes it. I mean it's not. 
you know, it's a generic role, but he really brings, uh, you know, a, a lot of greatness to it. And it's just well, he I makes it interesting. He has a lot of really interesting choices, and he makes what could have been just like a really stereotypical bad guy role into something like really kind of different and interesting to watch. And um, I mean, he's a great talent, a really kind of underrated. Voslo, Voslo, I'm saying Vosto. Voslo is the guy's name. And then it's funny, Universal Executives thought that him and uh, Lance Henriksen had such a great uh, chemistry together that they wished they had gotten the pair to do their own film. That's they how made them sleep together. Yeah, well, they, you know, there is a weird... I mean, I, you know, nowadays it really pisses me off um, that anything <coughs> you hear is, is uh, going to be, you know, gay undertones. I mean, you can't watch like an Abbott and Costello or a Martin Lewis movie without saying like, <laughs> you know, they, they're doing with Burton Ernie now. Oh, Burton Ernie must be gay because they live together. It's like, no, they're freaking puppets. Well, it's funny, you know, you know the, the, like, I don't know if it's me, one of those channels, they have me TV, that, the, yeah. odd t- the Odd Couple, the old yeah. Odd Couple, and now there's a remake of The Odd Couple. But that whole opening monologue like the voiceover at the beginning of the credits it's like and now two guys must live together it was because they were afraid people were going to think they were two gay dudes so there was like this big like explanation as to why they live together yeah before every episode so nobody would mistake them well you know <laughs> mistakenly feel like they were two gay dudes living <laughs> together if we're going to get into the weeds of uh, gay undertones in, in, in society during the 50s uh, when there was the big backlash because of the EC Comics um uh, I forget the gentleman's name, the psychiatrist who made this book. Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Wortham, maybe? I, I so, yeah, that's something it, like that. Yeah, uh, he came out with this big book about how, uh, you know, the comics are bad, and he gave a plethora of examples. And one of the examples he was talking about was about the uh, homosexuality in Batman and Robin. And he's like, you know, he's pointing out, like, look at, look at the two. They sleep in the same room together, as indicated on page four. And it's like, no, it's just because, you know, you're trying to economize frames. You know, yeah. you have certain panels, so you don't want to have, you know, Batman, Bruce Wayne getting out of bed, seeing the bat single, the next panel going over to wake Robin. It's like, <laughs> <coughs> well, just have them in the same bed together, saying, hey, look, you know, we're not the same bed. I'm sorry. <laughs> but they're in the well, same that was room the reason together. why they introduced in the 60s, Batman 66 television series, they had like that Aunt Margaret. I don't forget her name. They had like this aunt. Living like she's the she's the generic because it was like we need to have like a a woman in here to you know make this not so like homoey yeah because especially in in the in the uh, in the late sixties that could have been taken like the way they were going but uh, my point was there are kind of overtones here that that there could be something going on or they're just really good friends yeah they've been through a lot you know and and, and, I I guess we're not necessarily explained I guess what we're supposed to assume there's some kind of ex mercenaries yeah there's some sort of I I got the impression that they're ex mercenaries who now have develop this company and it's interesting because it's like you know this I should have done my research better but there there is a great original short story called The Deadliest Game yeah, that's yeah. very famous from like the turn of the century and it's basically about I forget how the people get onto an island but there's a very rich man who lives in a mansion on an island and they're either maybe they're uh, uh, th- their boat sinks and they're stranded there or, or something happens in a storm and the rich yeah, guy. I read, it, I read it when I was like in junior high. Yeah, it's a great and story. I, can't rem- I don't can't remember like and it the might even specifics. it might even be public domain now. So if it's public domain, we'll give a link in this cast to it. It's a great. It's only like twenty pages, and it's really cool. But it's basically like the turn of the century. This rich guy who's been hunting in Africa, and he's like, and now he hunts people. So he's like, I'm gonna give you like an hour, and then I'm gonna hunt your ass on my island, you know, and maybe well, who the hell knows where the island is. Uh, but so this story, my point is, has been going for years, and we've yeah, seen yeah. this in different, you know, even there's a movie which I still don't know the name of that I saw when I was a child, 
where they're, they're hunting in the bayou. In from the, it's from the 70s or 80s, and, and they're doing the same thing. And What's the one with... Uh, surviving the game. Surviving the game, yeah. yeah with Ice-T and Roger <laughs> Howard. Always check your... Uh, what's Busey's in that, too, right? Yeah, there's a whole slew of people. Uh, that was it, a big... For some reason, that was a big movie. That was a big hit. For me and my friends. Oh, but that, that went rent. over well. Um, back in the day, you know, we were talking about, like, weird... I think with Willy Wonka, our, our cast on Willy Wonka, I think I was talking about, like, there was just weird movies that me and my friends rented a lot. And that was well, Grease 2. That was one of them. <laughs> Grease 2 and Surviving the Game. Surviving the Game. But it's interesting because I wonder what year Surviving the Game came out, if it's one of these movies like Deep Impact versus uh, Armageddon oh. or Dante's Peak versus... We'll it's have one of the uh, interns yeah. on that. They'll check it out. But it's like, that comes out, and that was a success too, but there was some weird stuff going on in Surviving the Game because... That was like they had a cabin in the woods, and I think they were paying homeless people, maybe, and that's what Ice T is a homeless person. They get yeah, up there yeah. and they're running. And it's a whole group of people yeah, running after one homeless person. 94. 94. So this is 93. So it's basically the same time, you know, or maybe the success of this one. I don't know. But it seems like they're so close together, they probably were shooting around the same time. Um, but in that one, which was really odd, is like they're in a cabin, and unlike this movie where it seems like Lance and um, the other Arnold uh, character are going they they play a little bit in city to city and then they move on and they go around the world that place they were staying like like in the mountains wherever this yeah, cabin they like, was they like trick the guy <laughs> we're gonna sit here and talk about surviving <laughs> the game even the cast. Of, instead of the movie we watched it's very concretely they somehow like tr- like hoax this uh, like a homeless person to come with them by treating them well and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, and they give them a meal or stay. Maybe and then a t- they just bring them out there. And then once they're out there, they're just like, okay, here's what's going to happen. Like, Was there any incentive except just to survive? I don't remember. So we should have watched that as well for this. But it's a double feature. The, the point I was making for that is, but they, they get a little stupid in it because the, the, actor, <coughs> the actor who's in Scarface, who, um, who's in a, a bunch of movies that ends up getting hung off the helicopter in Scarface, uh, and the Palma Scarface, he is there, and he brings his son. You remember this subplot? And his son, he's, he wants to like introduce his son into the world of hunting people. And then his son's like, I don't know if I can do it, Dad. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, You're gonna do it because you're gonna be a man. And that ends up getting the son killed and like him killed. And when everything starts going bad, when you find out Ice T's an ex, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it's like you think he would have vetted the son a little better, you know? Because yeah. it's not like you're going to hunt like you know. It'd be hard enough if you're trying to get the kid to shoot a deer. You know, and then like the kids like I can't shoot something that's living. But not, not only that, it's like you're going the one step further. Like you're gonna shoot like a homeless person. You know, and it's like Dad. He's like you're gonna be a man and you're gonna kill people. You know, it's like, you know, what values he instilling into that? But we digress. <laughs> but uh, so basically, the subtitle of this spot. Yeah, <laughs> but we digress. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like Van, D- uh, not Van Dam, Hendrickson, and this other guy just go around. The well, here's the thing. What's interesting, which I, I, you know, I haven't watched this movie in a really long time. I little back, little backstory. Yeah, we I, should get to our backstory. I grew up like a really big Van Dam fan. I mean, I wouldn't say I was like a fanatic, but I liked Van Dam's movies. He was your guy. As I was, it's interesting. Like we both liked Arnold, we both liked Stallone, but then we had the sub guys. And no, and I, and I liked Steven Seagal just fine. But like, given the choice, yes, if Van I had Damme. to choose, I probably would have went with. I would have went with Van Dam. Not probably. I would have went with Van Dam. I was Bloodsport to this day. Yeah. As cheesy as as it is, love that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's a run of kind of weird ones. Uh, he also like mastered the tournament movie, which, which yeah, I, he did. Which, he, which kinda, he, kind of, he kind of he kind of took took it by the helm. It really just it peaked in the late eighties. And uh, so I'm a big Van Damme uh, fan in general. Um, but uh, one of the things I find interesting about this movie is like, so I haven't you know 
I don't know when the last time I watched it was, but it's been a long time. And so I never really picked up on the fact that it really is like this social kind of commentary on like the elite versus yeah. <laughs> like the poor. Because not only do you just have like that there's rich guys paying for the opportunity to hunt basically homeless people. Um, one of the things is they, they always... Uh, well, what's, what's the plot of the movie? The plot of the movie is basically... Lance Henriksen and the Zanaby, they uh, they have a business where... The Zanaby, is that what we're naming him now? <laughs> Voslo is, is Zane, the Zanaby, the Zanaby. Where they get paid, it was like $500,000 or something. By seven, seven, well, maybe 500000 yeah, because then later on he wants... It's like seven fifty to hunt Van Damme. Yeah, yeah. And basically they, uh, they give a homeless person who is, an, uh, who is a veteran. This is how they justify They say they want to... They're soldiers who kill for our government, and then you know they only hunt combat vets. It's and, and they've done it in different parts of the world. They've mentioned Yugoslavia and Rio, so they're justifying. I guess but they're they, not picking but, anybody. But that's my point: is that they pick places that are in some kind of like turmoil. Yeah, it's not you know. So they go places where, you know, the shit's already kind of hit the fan, and so they're preying on people that are already down and out. So you I know. guess unlike surviving the game, they're not just picking any Joe Blow homeless person off the street. They're, yeah. they're looking. They're, they had somebody venting, vetting. You know, uh, you know, if he has a military record, does he have family? That's a big thing. They don't want to have yeah, yeah. people snooping around. But they're also, you know, playing this game in places that are, you know, locations that are kind of down and out, or maybe in some kind of like, you know. Uh, governmental turmoil or you know places where i guess i guess they pick them because they feel like they can get away with it and they're able to new orleans was so fucking dangerous well that's the thing is we didn't realize that new orleans was so fucked up until katrina until katrina yeah yeah um but apparently since since the 90s new orleans has been really down and out i mean yeah there's 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 roving gangs of people just accosting women and there's i mean uh, when i was in new orleans i didn't see any of that but you know and and and, uh According to this movie, there's just thing, and then no one will help you on the street, no matter what's going on. Like you can go up to a whole bunch of people in the middle of the, of, of it looks like Bourbon Street, and people are just like, "No, he's he's crazy." You could be bleeding, and people are like, "We don't have anything to do with you." But I feel like that would happen in New York. Too. I, that's true. I think that even happened in you know, uh, uh, Jason takes Manhattan. <laughs> he was like, "Help me!" and no one wants to help him. Jason's like walking down the road. But uh, but so my point is, this you know, there's a little bit of like a social and political kind of commentary here. I mean, it's not just. Uh, Van Dam with a righteous fucking greasy mullet yeah. uh, running around the bayou. And I think it's a, this, a slightly deceptive mullet because I think it's actually his hair is slicked back with some gel. And then uh, it's so weird because nowadays you look at it because he's like homeless as well. Well, his character, he's a dock worker. He's like a longshoreman, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have any money. And then, like, you know, we're introduced to him at the diner and he can't pay. And this is like the fourth time he's done it and he can't pay for, for his, his diner food. gumbo. Yeah, and his coffee. And so he's trying to, like, uh, it's almost like the across the waterfront story where he's uh, is it along the waterfront or across the waterfront the Marlon Brando movie yeah where along, he along the waterfront along the water across the water along all along the watchtower I'm thinking it's like you know where he's he's they're, they're picking who's going to work that day but then you know uh, he needs to get his union card reinstated so it's like a little double standard how can I pay the fine for a union card without being able to get make a wage so it's like uh, but at this my my point is he's still always like smartly dressed. He looks like he's always taking a shower every day. He's, well, you know, he's shaving. His hair's fucking greasy as shit. But though. at the time, it's like that's. I think that's a stylistic choice. It's not like he's greasy. Like he's not looking like again Ice T from Surviving the Game with these dreads that have yeah, like yeah. cobwebs in them. Well, I could see your point about it maybe not being a mullet, but I, I agree that it's definitely like it's long <laughs> in the back. 
and I think it's long on the side. It is, but it's held because then, then it's pushed back. Yeah, it's held like there. over his ears. It's so held there with that real hard gel. But I think it's short on top. Yeah. Well, I looked, and and just for everyone out there, there was a hairstylist, and it, and in the credits, it's it's he's credited hair for Jean Claude Van Damme. It was uh, Jean Alexander. So props to Jean Alexander, whose soul. Uh, job on the set of Hard Target was getting that bad boy into some sort of working order. Um, but a really odd choice. I mean, but I had, think it was badass though. Early nineties, he's looking, you know, long hair. And how long was he, the hair? He, it's probably like past his shoulders. And it's about to his shoulders. And I think we both agree at least that it was his hair. He didn't. It's not extensions. I think he grew it out. It doesn't look yeah, like. Yeah. It looks like his hair. But he's, got, he's got like a mullety thing going on, kind of also in Time Cop. Oh, he does that, but it's sh- it's much shorter. Yeah, yeah. It's not, he's, not he's as kind of, extreme. It's not a, like a Billy Ray Cyrus thing. Yeah, and, it, it, and it's weird because it's like uh, there's no point in the movie where you have him like getting out of the shower, getting wet, and you have his hair all coming down like like a uh, I don't know, like a rock star. It's it's always slicked back on the side, so you get the impression that it is a mullet. But he's a, it's like like I said, it's a sli- it looks like a slyly deceptive mullet that's going on there. Yeah. So um, the plot, more <laughs> of the plot. So we have that whole aspect of Lance Henriksen and the ZDB. They have this business. Rich men hunt for like the privilege to hunt man. Yeah. So uh, the the first victim, the first uh, prey that we see at the beginning of the movie, which is all first person as well. Really cool action sequence. Um, apparently, he has a daughter who he's been somewhat estranged from they haven't seen each other but they write letters uh back and forth so here's a guy who was not supposed to have a family has a family and uh yancey butler in her uh feature film debut i believe she pulls into new orleans looking for her father who as we as the audience know has has died and uh she can't get to the bottom of it she goes where he's supposed to be she finds out that he fell on some hard times lost his job and became homeless, and uh, the she goes to the cops to file a report, a missing persons report, and is told like he doesn't have a home, like he needs to be missing from someplace to be considered missing. Yeah, and that's the chick who um, she, uh, the actress, the cop is is um, from Candyman, and she's also uh, oh yeah, she is in Candyman. She's also in. Um, Something else as well, which I have to remember. But she's yeah, she's the she's the friend in Candyman, and she's the friend in another movie as well. And so she advises her to kind of investigate on her own, but find somebody to take her around this that knows the city to help. And so she kind of hires Van Dam, who she meets uh, as she's a damsel in distress at the diner where Van Dam can't afford his gumbo and a cup of coffee. Um, she's waving around money because she needs change for the phone. And Van Damme sees that she has money, but then sees that other people ha- sees that she has money also. They try to rob her outside the diner, and then Van Damme kind of steps in. And, and like noon, it's like it's like a plain daylight. Nobody, and it's just it's one of those just generic gangs of dudes with like their hats backwards. <laughs> <you know? coughs> Excuse me. Uh, you know, with uh, sleeveless shirts. You know, yeah, like yeah. you know, uh, or uh, tank tops. You know, and so Van Damme. Jumps in, does some roundhouse kicks. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting in a very Seagal kind of way. Breaks some dude's arm. He does do it over his shoulder and and, and uh, really just breaks the guy's elbow. And then he throws him through the plane glass window at the end, which is I think is a little 
look extreme. Yeah, and, and who's going to pay for that? But no yeah, one cares. I'm not sure it's, it's funny because cover that it's, it's, you look at you look at action eighties and action and nineties uh, action sequences nowadays, and it's just like you know people would get leveled. And can you imagine if that really happened nowadays, where you have like CCTV of like some dude beating up like twenty dudes, and then they're just laying on the ground, and no one cares. You know, are, are the cops going to come, or are these guys just going to eventually get up and walk away on their own, or who's going to help these people? It's just very funny. So. And then they go looking. It's a, you know we've talked we talk about it all the time. It's a little bit of like a giallo. It's a poor man's giallo. <laughs> yeah, they start looking, and then this this it leads them to the homeless shelters, and then they uncover this plot. But that uh, uh, Hen, uh, Lance Henriksen and your man, uh, the, what do you call Zanaby? Zanaby, Zanaby are uh, are hunting people for sport or for money as well. Yeah, and I guess you know they somehow they decide that their next prey is going to be Van Dam, and that's really how it all. Well, because Zanabee sees them. Because Zanabee, they make eye contact because uh, they're able to... The last person who was employing uh, her father, and they go to this guy, and we find out later on that sleazy guy is the, is the, is the middleman they're using while they're in New Orleans to, f- to pr- procure them uh, vets who are now homeless. So when they go looking, he doesn't, of course, know anything. But he know everybody. It's funny. Everybody in New Orleans knows Van Dam, which is very hilarious. Even like Ch- the chance, you know, yeah, Chance Boudreau. Yeah, everybody knows him. The the uh, the diner people know him. This guy knows him. The people at the Longshoreman know him. The uh, the whorehouse mate, uh, madam knows him. They're like, oh, what you doing here, Jean Boudreau, <laughs> aka Van Dam? You know, Van Dam. His name's Chance, and. Um, She's like, uh, Yancy Butler's like, that's uh, an interesting name. He's like, my mama took one. <laughs> it's interesting because he's, he's playing up the French here, but he's actually uh, Belgium. Uh, he's, he was born in Brussels. so like uh, The muscles we, from Brussels. Yeah, we give a shout out to like uh, uh, Harku Poirot uh, from Brussels and Belgium, as well as uh, Herge's uh, Tintin, which we love. It's a little representing Belgium and uh, Brussels there. Um, but he's very much French in this movie, and it plays into the whole French... <coughs> Uh, uh, New Orleans uh, French Quarter aspect of this movie, and he's got some interesting stuff going on. Like, he's got the one of the the the, the most uh, built thighs I've ever seen. Like, they really emphasize. It looks like he's wearing padding in his thighs in this movie, but I guess it's to support the massive roundhouse kicks <laughs> that he does through this movie. Got a lot of splits, a lot of roundhouses. You know, he's got a very sexy ass, Van Dam. I could say that as being a heterosexual <laughs> man. Well, I think that was really his thing. This is one of the few movies. I feel like where you don't see his ass, and he doesn't do just like a full-out split, if I recall correctly. He doesn't do anything where he's just he splits to get out of the way of something. I like don't very think much so. like the very classic time cop where he, he jumps up on the on the freaking Between countertops. The two counters, yeah. Um, but he's doing a lot of like anywhere you can get him to do a roundhouse kick in this movie, he's he's throwing a roundhouse kick out. Well, that's his thing, man. You know, um, it's interesting. I guess you can get into the John Woo. Because you, you were going to say we, we we didn't set it up right. We were going to start giving out people the name, but people if people realize like every John Woo kind of cliche, you know, he brings to his uh, Hollywood debut. We got uh, birds, specifically a scene um, with a white dove. We have black painted black dirt bikes. We've got uh, you know shitloads of guns and a f- hell of a lot of slow motion. Like if this if you like if every shot that was slow motion in this movie was regular speed, I think this movie would be under an hour long. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, you have the. Uh, it's like every other shot is slow motion. You have the woo, the two guys behind between a wall, getting ready to reload their guns. You have the, the you have the, uh, the the climactic actor having two guns. Usually, it seems like they're either forty fives or Berettas. Um, you have the. Uh, 
the reflections he that that's a patented woo thing where you see the reflections in doorways or yeah, through mirrors yeah. or through like bike uh, like uh motorcycle helmet visors yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you have uh of course like you said he ha you have the uh the, the doves he's a huge dove fan you have the trademark uh somebody's throwing another person a character a gun you know to to to, to do something off um <coughs> uh and he's yeah he's got and then you see like a lot of that in the, his other movies especially like the dove he's got a huge obsession just doves yeah, yeah. and pigeon white doves yeah, yeah. Oh, i guess doves are white though. yeah it comes pigeons. to a head in like mission impossible too are they, are they all over the place yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that one since the theaters. It's really, his, I know. I mean, I, there's not a whole lot of it in this movie. He also has a lot of, which is weird. There's often a lot of like Catholic imagery in his movies, which I didn't notice a whole lot of it here. Like a lot of scenes take place in churches. Well, what's the one with the, the, the climax with the whole bunch of doves and they're in the church for the climax? Uh, it probably describes like five <laughs> of his movies. <laughs> I they they all blend into one to me. Like hard boiled is the one where it ends in the hospital, right? Where when Chow Young Fat slides through the uh, white powder, that's that's hard. That's hard boiled, maybe. Yeah, I think so. And it's just or a police story. See, it's like no, I think that's hard boiled. There's so many, and then there's the other one where at the end where they're like in the uh, the church, and there's, I gotta go back and watch them all now. But he's he, I have to do a John Woo uh, a whole retrospective. But it's interesting if we want to play the uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers game of the what ifs. Um, uh, uh, on set at the time, they didn't have complete confidence Universal in. John Woo just because it was his first English uh, language production he wasn't very good at speaking English at the time which hasn't been a deterrent we found in cinema through the century of people making a, a movie uh, they didn't know if he'd be able to complete it so they must have they must have paid because they had on set on standby just uh, you know in, in warming up in the in the uh, batter's box um, Sam Raimi yeah well Sam Raimi and Robert Tapert are, are listed as executive producers yeah and of course, uh, you know Robert Tapert is Sam Raimi's producing partner from like Evil Dead and um, Renaissance Pictures, and they were at that time they were doing all shitload of like uh, TV syndicated shows like Hercules probably oh, yeah. popped up around that time, and um, and he had a huge hit with Darkman a couple of years before uh, Raimi. Yeah, that's around the time of Darkman and like The Quick and the Dead. Oh yeah, and, and that's why you have the Ted Raimi cameo that at that certain point when that guy's looking for help and Ted Raimi's like, "Get away from me! I have no chains." The guy's like, "I'm bleeding to death." So. <laughs> yeah, so Raimi also went on. I think he also produced Time Cop. Okay, or executive produced Time Cop. Um, so yeah, so like as you're saying, is they like had kind of Raimi on like retainer just in case that just in case shit hit the fan, like Raimi would step in and f complete the movie. And they uh, they were looking. And they almost cast Kurt Russell in the movie. I was going to say Kurt Douglas, which would have been a completely different movie. It would have been great, though. Uh, they would have been a very different movie. <laughs> I mean, him, I mean, come and, on. him and Wilford Brimley <laughs> running around together. Oh, we haven't even mentioned Wilford Brimley in this movie. Uh, it's our second uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepover Wilford Brimley movie. I know. And we already have plans at some point to do a third. Like, Wilford Brimley's going to end up being... The you patron know, like, Yeah, like Borgnine is for Bodwitz so for some reason. Brimley. Brimley's you know, Brimley going to end up being that. Which is us, completely, uh, I'm completely okay with. I mean, it's completely. <laughs> oh, I don't have any issues with <laughs> you know, that. I'm just saying. I mean, I don't know if, if, if eventually we'll have, uh, we'll have some, um, we'll have a couple patron saints here at the sleepovers. Um, but Wilford Brimley's, uh, he's, he's freaking phenomenal in it. Uh, we can get the Wilford Brimley. Brimley's great in it. But yeah, we'll I mean, he, sa it. he saved, not he didn't save the movie, but he plays a great part that could have been crap. But, uh, so they they were thinking of casting Kurt Russell in the film, but they they for well, some John reason, Woo really wanted Kurt Russell, but Kurt Russell had, was already kind of 
attached to films for like the next two years yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. So they didn't want to wait two years. And Universal had worked with Van Damme in Li- Lionheart that had been released a couple years before. And be- I guess they always, re- they always really wanted Van Damme for this movie. Um, it was Wu who wanted Kurt Russell. And they actually didn't necessarily even... It wasn't like they brought Wu over to do this movie. They brought Wu over to just make a Hollywood movie because of the success of what he was doing in Hong Kong. But it sounded like Wu, uh, and, Van, and Dam- Van Damme had some sort of... Uh, he had met Van Damme but before it, him. Van Damme had helped broker this deal because then uh, your um, Zainabi talks about how it was so lovely working with Wu during the action sequences and he's like a, uh, an actor's director and, and he credits it because he wouldn't have been able to do it if it wasn't for Van Damme bringing him here for this movie. I guess there's so, some conflicting stories Yeah, it's going weird. Uh, but I guess that's, <coughs> there's always conjecture in these kind of secondhand stories. Because they originally just brought him over. It was my understanding that they just brought Wu over. Because he'd been doing so And they well. just offered him. They gave him like a shitload of scripts to read. One, one of which was Time... Uh, not Time Cop. Was Face, Face Off. Face Off, which he ended up eventually doing. Yeah, but he, he turned it down to do this because he didn't, he didn't like, like the sci-fi. Yeah. But it was a lot of what they were offering were like martial arts movies. And he didn't want to make... Yeah. St- like a stereotypical martial arts movie. He wanted to make just like a more mainstream action movie. More power to him. Like, and then he, successful. I don't know, I guess he read the Hard Target script and thought there was, you know, a lot of heart in it and thought that uh, this would be a good vehicle. Um, but Van Damme, you know, this is not the first, this is not, it might be the first, but it's not the only movie. He also, Van Damme also starred in um, another great Chinese director, uh, Sui Hark, when he came to America. Uh, Van Damme started his first movie, so Van Damme is kind of like at the for like the '90s and maybe even into the early 2000s. I think that was Knockoff, which is one of my particular favorites. Um, he's a little bit of that bridge, where like it seems like when Hong, like famous Chinese directors or that are famous in China and have a bit of a following when they come to America to make like a, their first like Western, you know, not, not literally the genre, but a movie like in the West. It, uh, they, they tend to, at least at the time, they seem to star Van Damme. Well, he was an international star. I mean, he was doing great. And that was re- another reason why Universal wanted to go with him because I guess from doing Lionheart and then whatever movies in the interim he did other places, they were huge box office successes domestically as well as internationally. So like, why not? It yeah. seems like a, you know, we're not going to wait two years for Russell, and and, and it would have been another interesting movie with Russell because this is right around what what year is Escape from L.A.? I'd say it's around Six, there. Maybe oh, was it ninety six? So I was going to say like it seems like it's around the the the, the years of like breakdown or yeah, that. Yeah. So it's like you would have got that Russell, which is I mean I love myself some girl Russell. Who uh, doesn't? Uh, you know? What's the one? This is probably right around the time of Unlawful Entry. I think I'll launch. Oh no! I think I'll launch. Yeah, you're right because that was like Ray Liotta's next movie. I think after um, which is, Goodfellas, which I think we, I think eventually we might have to do Unlawful. Didn't entry. they just remake Unlawful Entry? But they put uh, Samuel Jackson in it. You know, he was some. He, he I guess it's kind of like that. What is that? I know the movie you're talking about. Yeah, but he lives know. like next door to them or something in that movie. And he's fucking. War, war, Ray Liotta is great, and it's like I always joke around and. If we ever end up doing unlawful entry, we'll talk about it more. But I had this thing where, like, I felt like Ray Liotta had in his contract that the female star always had to be named Karen in the movie. Oh, is she, is she Karen in that <laughs> one as well? His name's Karen. Karen, Karen, we needed that money, Karen. <laughs> Karen. Uh, so it'd be interesting to play our game as if you had a Sam Raimi movie directed by uh, Kurt Russell. How would have been awesome. Not that I'm saying this. You know, not that I'm saying. I'm like, not taking anything away. I would have rather had that. 
but it would have been a really cool. Especially movie. if you had, you know, you still had Lance as the bad guy and, and uh, your Zanabi as as the uh, as the the co-star bad guy. And also, I guess to keep talking about Wu, evidently they had a notoriously long cut of this movie. And yeah. like I said, that Van Damme went into the editing room and severely cut it. But there's like, I guess if you watch the trailers, there's a couple lines. There's a line where when um, uh, Van Cleef. Uh, is killed or something uh he says look look at it this way uh at least you're gonna go meet elvis you know and that's in that line is not in the movie um yeah but it's it must have been one of these things that were put on the chopping room floor and there's like <coughs> a lot of the other lance uh parts i would love to see i would love to see yeah if there well was apparently uh, you know apparently there's a year from what i understand there's a european dvd of it that doesn't have everything restored but has a lot of the action stuff at least that got cut out well they said the like the ending is very the, in the in the mardi gras factory the float factory that's extended as well yeah you know but it, uh, again to touch upon how uh van damme having creative control evidently there was supposed to be like a boat and a boat chase scene at the end that was going to be the climax but oh, van like damme swamp and stuff yeah but van damme said no and he's the one who insisted on the horse so maybe when they were leaving wilford brimley's house yeah, yeah he he's the one who changed it and got him on horseback which worked out great you know i think because it looked like a lot of it van damme i mean not to say i mean so clearly a lot of this is just some dude with a bullet yeah, yeah. there's <laughs> a mean, lot of like really blatant but stunt, some, stunt man but some of the it. stuff is is uh van damme and i want to even say some of the stuff is actually wilford brimley as well on it the horseback like there's a couple explosions where it's like that's yeah, yeah. or brimley. they got somebody that looked fucking exactly yeah like, like just his age and his you know because it doesn't look like a 30 year old in a, in a, in a heavy i can imagine wilford brimley being like yeah i'll do it well you know i i didn't i didn't want to digress into wilford brimley but wilford brimley has a, a really crazy past that him and charles Durning were really tight and uh, Wilford Brimley growing up, I mean, I, I don't know Wilford Brimley's age, but he was a bodyguard at one time for uh, uh, Howard Hughes. <coughs> and he was a professional boxer for a minute, just as Charles Durning was. And uh, one time, one night, they, they were on the same card at Madison Square Garden. So imagine going to see that one night. You have Charles Durning playing a bout, and then you have <laughs> you know Wilford Brimley playing a bout, you know? So, um, you know, Wilford Brimley's a badass. And, you know, you know we, we've already established that in the thing. You know, and I think again when you get to like Act Three of this movie or whenever you want to say that is when you meet yeah, Wilford it's about Brimley. it's about Act Three. Wilford Brimley plays uh, Van Damme's uncle. Yeah, he plays uh, what's his name? Um, his name is uh, Bo- Bobe Do- Dube 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 yeah. Dube, which is Uncle Dube, and it's and, and it's it's one of these I can for the life of me I cannot understand French Dube. and how they how Maybe they Dube Dube or Dube or Dube, but I don't know how they. They spell things, and, it, and I looked at the spelling at the end. It looks nothing like how you pronounce it, so I can't. Yeah, it yeah. sounded like Dubé. But he has a great little Creole accent there. Like, yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's working with the, an accent, and he's like a bit of a hermit that lives out in the, uh, in the swampland. And apparently after, in the context of the movie, after Van Damme's character got out of, like, the Foreign Legion or whatever, the, the, the uh, military, he came to Louisiana and then... Louisiana was kind of, you know, lived with uh, Wilford Brimley, and he's and Wilford Brimley's out there making his own moonshine, making moonshine, you know? and it's and you know he's got some very funny uh, lines, which I assume are all scripted. I mean, maybe if it's not, if he if he's improvising these, that's even more brilliant. But there's a couple scenes where he's got the moonshine, and, and you know it's tasting good. And there's one part where he either gives it to the girl or Van Damme. He's like, "Don't drop in that on the ground. I'm going to turn the green. It's going to turn the grass. It's going to kill the grass." You know, it's very funny. Um, so he's great in this movie, and then you know he actually. 
I don't know, again, I don't know what age he was for this movie, but he's like doing some physical. Yeah, well, you know, if you look, for no other reason, you have to see this movie just to see Wilford Brimley riding a horseback shooting arrows at people. And he's, and he's pretty good. I mean, he's, he's knocking people out <laughs> left and right. You know, he's, uh, and, and, and then he, it's, it's hilarious that he, that he knows, you know, uh oh, something's wrong. You want to run. And then, like, he's, Van Damme's like, I am on the run. You know, I can't do a French accent. And, yeah, uh, well, he says, uh, Van Damme comes in and he's like, "There's some, you know, something like the, there's got there's some people are after us." And he's, like, "I can smell them." <laughs> and then by the time they get there, you know, uh, however long he's been living out in this swamp, because it, I would assume since he's in the middle of nowhere, it's taken him a little while to accumulate this place, and he's set up there, and he's he's very well established. But you have uh, by the time Lance and his badass team come, he's. He's ready to. He yeah. completely blows his place up. Yeah, yeah. Trying he to got kill it him. all rigged with dynamite, you know, like ready to go. And we, and we were just the scene before we were inside the place, and he had a pretty nice pad in there, you know. So it's like he's blowing his entire. It's not like he's like, okay, help me take out me, uh, me, me photo albums, <laughs> you know. It's like you know, he just he blew everything up. He's like, I'm starting over, you know. So he's a uh, no, no attachments, know. anything for his uh, nephew chance. And uh, it, it, it was interesting that we um, that <coughs> you know we were talking about. <coughs> Lance and its loyalty to the Zanabi, uh Arnold Voslo. But um, aside from that, he's he's a Lance is a fucking prick to everybody else he works for. I mean, he's just like he doesn't care. And it's like it's interesting. You get into the '90s era where they uh, they 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 send one person to kill Van Dam. There's the sequence where the 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 female cop, the black girl, gets shot and she ends up dying. And first, you just think it's like the Zanabi and some other dude with, and he's hanging out you know the of the window with a shotgun and then before you know it you have the entire I don't know how many people I mean how many people does freaking um, Lance Henderson employ but they're all just whipping around corners hanging out of <laughs> guns shooting automatic weapons and he shoots like there's like 40 people then and that starts I guess the end of act two the whole fight sequence or the action sequence of them trying to get away where you get to some incredible uh, Van Damme uh only Van Damme can do special effects or stuff. You can't really, I don't think, you can maybe get Chuck Norris. I could say, <coughs> you could probably get Chuck Norris doing some of this shit. But like, you know, when they get on the highway and they're still following and Van Damme stops and he gets on his motorcycle or the dirt bike and, and he's, he's, he starts doing like chicken and he yeah. jumps up on the freaking, uh, the seat and he's able to perfectly balance it. <laughs> and then uh, he hits the car head on and he goes over and he's Flip able to land. over the top. And then he unloads the Beretta. And it's like, there's so many things that, that we need to get to with, with this, because this, this opens up a bucket of worms of, like, 90s John Woo action movies and stuff. It's just, you know, um, I, I will give credit to John, John Woo where he does have cutaways of them taking up, like, anytime he kills somebody, you'll see him take a clip for the gun. So he's yeah. justifying he's getting more. But, like, you never see anybody reload while they're in an action. So, like, the gun's, like, shooting, like, 60 rounds out of, like, a 15-round clip. And, you know, he's only got... He only picks one clip up, but no one's ever... The shotguns, it's like, you know, it's like an automatic <laughs> shotgun. It's like, where are these getting these rounds? And it's like, you know, like when Dubé gives him the shotgun, he doesn't give him any rounds, but then, you know... He, he, he throws him a box. Throws him a box full of... And it gets into, like, this... When you're talking about, you know, we have the John Woo... Um, the John Woo style, where it's also, like, he has that... He has that musical editing and the dissolves. I think are also his style. We said the doves. Very, uh, very, but a very cool score. Bring it's talking about music. Very bluesy. Yeah. Oh, well, that's another thing. You know, it's like it's it's we have the the well, 
to talk about the score, we have the, like the the arrival montage, and you have like the hip hop. So you have that. Like we're talking about the like we said in the last movie we just did, uh, Monster Squad. You have the early '90s hip hop, which is not to say Monster Squad had that, but you have like the early '90s hip hop song, and then they try to bring the score to New Orleans and have New Orleans be a character. So you have a very much of that generic blues and yeah, yeah, a lot of slide guitar. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. You know, just like, oh, Van Damme's down on his luck. So you have that echoed in the music. Um, but uh, Wu, he, it's, I think maybe because him coming over to, to, to America in that early part of the 90s and his style of that slow motion stuff, it really starts that whole movement of the glorification of violence and the gun that you end up seeing maybe it hits its apex in like the Matrix movies where it's like everything is like you're saying slow-mo and you see the like the the beautiful elegance of ejecting the 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 the, the clip and putting a new clip in and the uh the 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 shell casings falling on the ground and everyone dropping things perfectly yeah, yeah. and it's it's just it really seems like in the 90s like you know we could talk about um uh the professional has it in there uh uh, a whole bunch of uh, early 90s movies that does it. Well, I think, uh, you know, that's part of a lot of what John Woo's kind of style with action was. I mean, often his his action sequences are thought of as being, uh, described as being, like, balletic, and that they're very, uh, you know, very, like, you know, he brings, the way Argento kind of brings beauty to, like, uh, you know, murder. <laughs> yeah, in a way, like I think that's John Woo, John Woo's thing is like to bring some kind of like artistic and beauty to these kinds of like huge like artillery gun action sequences. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it's amazing. I mean, I mean, I think it's a really good pairing of, of Van Damme and him because also there is that little tongue in cheek gag of you know not just with them paying all. Uh, homage to like our western genre <coughs> a hollywood genre where they name uh, one of the characters van cleef but there's a lot of other like like winks at westerns where like at the beginning you know you see van damme flips his trench coat back and you, you, traditionally yeah, yeah. that's for like the gunfighter to be able to access his revolvers yeah. but no that's for van damme to be able to access those <laughs> badass thighs and those roundhouse <laughs> kicks of his can of whoop ass you know and that's just like it's, it's it's very cool with the with the thing also since we were just talking about new orleans it's very interesting it seems like nowadays it's in the in the the playbook of new orleans you can't shoot new orleans without you have low level dolly shots of of like you know, low level action and like everything framed with these beautiful like you know Bourbon Street houses. It seems like everywhere well, you see, yeah, they the, have that look of you know very low to the ground. Well, this is like really the first time that New Orleans is shot for like a big action movie. Yeah, I mean it's and been used quite a bit, but you're right. I mean this is for it to be the centerpiece of you know uh, they, they're in the very famous cemetery, which the name escapes me right now. So yeah. they, they do play on the very uh, touristy aspects, you know. It's a really interesting town um, or interesting city. I mean, it's the architecture which you're talking about is it's, it's unique. Um, so it's a it's a really interesting, visually interesting set piece for for a film. And this, I feel like this movie does a kind of a brilliant job of, um, like you were saying with the cemetery, like using that location uh, for like. To make it interesting and and have it be even though it's American, it seems very different than, you know, it seems foreign to us to watch it. Um, 
the the you know the city of New Orleans, the cemetery, the swamp, and then at the end, the big set pieces. You know, I think Van Damme describes it as like the Mardi Gras graveyard, which I guess it's like this factory where they store this warehouse where they store the Mardi Gras floats. And that's where the whole like end action sequence takes place in this giant warehouse with like these very surreal kind of like parade floats that they're running around and destroying and stuff. Yeah, and you know, and if you look at the credits, they actually use whatever Mardi Gras float company it was. So they were actually it wasn't like I don't I. I'd assume a lot of it they had to build because they destroy. <laughs> yeah, I would assume they're setting shit on fire, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. And you have the great, um, you know, that, also the great sequence where he, <coughs> where he kicks the can, the, oh, uh, yeah. the oil can. That's another one of these. Like it's like, I had seen this movie so I never seen the movie, but I'd seen so much of it in in the trailers. Like you know, I like you know, I always it's a quotable line. Like, how does it feel to be hunted? You tell me. It's like you know, it's like I would quote that all the time, but I'd never seen it, so like I forgot. These, you know, since it's been 20 years plus since the movie's come out, I forgot these sequences of Van Damme on top. Like, I, when I saw that Van Damme jumping on top of the bike to do the, you know, to the start this action sequence, I was like, oh, I completely forgot that was happening. Yeah. Or the thing where he kicks the, 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 the gas can. I was like, I forgot about that too, that this was all in this movie, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, all this talk about John Woo and actions, though. I mean, I feel like the action sequences. Look, the, the the slow motion doesn't necessarily bother me. No, I so think much. it works great. I my only point was, I think it was so popular and such a clever idea at the time that as the '90s progressed with uh, the professional Leon, and then I think, like I said, it culminated with the Matrix, where it was yeah. everybody wanted to start doing that, you know, sh- slow move. And I the, mean, I think it, the slow motion goes even kind of past the action sequences with this movie, where she's literally just oh like, yeah, there's 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 some stuff going on where it does not need to be slow mo, but it works. <coughs> But it's weird. It's it's just uh, it's very odd. We have this whole you know like yeah. There's like they're doing like medial tasks and it's slow motion. Like, yeah, why yeah. is it slow? I, and I, I, I can't think of a great example. But there's some like where he's just like you know giving change like at the at the counter of the diner and it's like slow motion. <laughs> it's like why does it that is like to be? every it's only, it's literally like every two shots. You're right. If if we cut the slow motion, we put that in the real time. You know, it's like it would have been under an hour. This movie. This movie could have been like a like an ABC Sunday night movie. You know? <laughs> you know. But the action sequences are great and like I love. Um, you know they're off, they're over the top. I do for some re- for me though, like the thing on the him standing on the on the dirt bike on the top of the dirt bike, like those kinds of things. I find at least now looking at them now, a little too over the top. And yeah, but at the, at the time you're like, this is fucking great. <laughs> this is you know because they're all trying to outdo themselves. I mean, one critic said that this is the the review was this is the most violent movie ever. Or this is the most violent movie of the summer, and it's just like the year before. Under Siege was out, and it was just as violent. So it's like yeah, yeah. I feel like at this point they're all trying to outdo themselves, you know, to, to great success because I think they they succeeded in what they were trying to do. But now it's like almost like you're saying like you know it's it's literally jumping the shark. You know, he's jumping the freaking uh, what is that Ford Bronco? Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, uh, but um, you know, a lot of stuff like I said, looking at it now, I mean, it's very much. You could say this about any movie, and and mo- a lot of them, and all of the movies we've kind of talked about on uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers are definitely this, but it is definitely um, kind of a time capsule of like nineteen ninety three action cinema. But you know, it, it for me, it didn't age as badly as some of these uh, have and maybe will that we end up covering, and I guess that's a good thing because I feel like there's some. I mean, this isn't so much mid '90s yet. '93, you can de- 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 dispute that's <coughs> mid '90s, but if you get like '95, '96, you've got some very. Uh, I think maybe if you watch them now, it could be very dated. 
action yeah. stuff. And I, don't, I didn't feel a lot of the tropes in this movie were dated, like you know, like the the overacting villain and and the you know the introduction of the hero and the star. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of these are just like. Well, um, I could see, yeah, I agree. This definitely doesn't feel as dated as a lot of other movies from that time. I think it has to do... But that's us, because you know what? Uh, you know, we take that with a grain of salt, because you and I have, a, and I think people who now listen to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers will agree that that's stuff we take with, you know, we, we a lot of stuff we let slip by, where if you try to put this to the to the normal fan now who maybe watches yeah, yeah. action movies, they may say this movie's terrible. Yeah, yeah, But we're yeah. like, but that's not the point. We love it because it's great. So I think we do let a lot of stuff slip by. In the I, I, I agree. And I, and I don't even know that dated is... The right word. No, I think, it, I think it's a good word for it. I don't know if in a lot of the kinds of movies we're talking about... I don't know if we would necessarily think of that as being a negative also. No, exactly. You know, like Monster Squad is really dated, but, but it's one of the things that's very fun and nostalgic about it. Yeah, it's not us. a deterrent for it. It's not, it's not, it, we're not saying it as a criticism. Whereas this movie, I agree, you know, you, you put this up against a lot of, you know, just Van Damme's other movies from that period. It doesn't feel as dated. I think some of that has to do with the New Orleans location is not as... Uh, you know, recognizable, especially for that period. It gives kind of a unique stylistic look, which is not something that's typical of of like early 90s action cinema. Uh, I think John Woo's style is not exactly typical I think that of the other kinds of action, which helped Hollywood yeah. action movies of that period as well. So it kind of... I mean, I guess a good example would be like, uh, uh, what's his face? Um, Luke Besson's. Uh, we keep bringing up the professional. Yeah, I don't think that would be that dated nowadays because Luke Besson brought the La Femme Nikita that kind of style over, and it's dated in the sense of it's mid '90s New York City and is you know uh, yeah, that, yeah that kind of thing. But that movie probably isn't as dated as some of the other stuff at the time because at least there's a fresh yeah, yeah. eye doing it, like Wu is doing here yeah, with yeah. this. Like Wu's stuff has now become. You know, the recognizable. I mean, we we talked about all like these, you know, cliches for the lack of a better term, like these recognizable kind of who, like woo isms for like his visual style. And now we're much more, uh, you cognizant know, cognizant of it. All. Yeah, than we would have been in 1993. Um, yeah, that would have blew our minds. Like, there's doves. It's it's some sort of significance. But <laughs> but but all those little like woo touches are not something that at least I don't think of that as being from a specific time period. Yeah. They're specific to him, but not that, like, oh, that's so 93, or that's so, like, 89, or, or whatever. So I think that helps it not feel as kind of dated as well. And I also think the idea of, like, the music being more of a... Uh, oh, it's of, of it being more uh, regional. Than yeah, instead of, a, you know, it's a, not a, like a shitty synths or anything. Yeah, it's, a score like that. It's, you know, slide guitar. So it... it, it and and also like some of the the themes in terms of uh you know you know it being kind of very western yeah you a know genre as opposed to western uh culture yeah yeah, yeah. western as a genre is being like you know it's taking it from so far back that it doesn't feel like its time period it's kind of fresh you know i think so i feel like all those definitely help with like it keeping it even when you watch it today i mean maybe the 
slow motion, even though we both agree that it doesn't really, like, we don't, doesn't bother us, but I could see maybe some people having an issue with it. I think that's the only thing that maybe puts it in some kind of, like, weird perspective in terms of maybe time or whatever. But I think it's it's remarkably fresh, I mean, aside from the mullet. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that, his look is kind of, I guess, dated. But and you're right, in comparison to a lot of the Van Damme movies, Certainly, his first ones, like uh, you said, you mentioned Bloodsport, uh, Kickboxer, which is another really yeah. weird movie. Cyborg. Cyborg, which I saw in the theater. That's, a, I guess, to get into the history, it's like uh, Van Damme. It's like I wanted to go see uh, Disorganized Crime, which I still to this day have never seen. And I think I got to the theater and I was with my best friend at the time, Martin McHugh. And I think, I don't know why, it, I don't think it was sold. I can't believe that Disorganized Crime was sold out. But something happened and. Um, you know, my dad and at the mo- last minute, my dad and the other kid, uh, Martin, uh, kind of voted me out like, hey, we don't want to go see this. Let's go see Cyborg. And so I was like, oh, come on. And we saw Cyborg, and that was my one and only time seeing it in the theater. And I remember it being re- a really freaky movie, but I remember at the same time it being kind of fresh and new, post-apocalyptic, <coughs> how Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome was. And I, I, I don't know, that, that probably is severely dated nowadays, Cyborg. If I yeah, was time yeah Cyborg. It, is, it was actually on TV not too long ago, and I watched at least I guess I watched kind of the end of it um, it's one of those movies and this happened and I guess maybe you didn't watch it with us if you're saying that was the only time you watched it because there was this period when we were in college where we were talking about Cyborg and we're like yeah we remember Cyborg being like really kind of weird and, and kind of fucked up and I, that's, that's, how, that's my memory of it now being messed up and like I think at one point maybe the end of Act 2 uh, they like, crucify uh, Van Damme. Yeah, and yeah. You know, of course, there's robots in it. And I'll, the big thing I remember from it, all the, the the bad guys and the people in it, they all flex their jaw muscles. So there's close-ups of people just grinning their teeth, and then you still so you see the jaw muscle bones just flexing. And you know, that's a, that was my seven or eight year old memory <laughs> of it. <laughs> and it definitely, I'd say, Cyborg. At that time, we, we rented it, we watched it. This is like ninety eight, ninety nine. And it was like, oh, this movie's not very good. And then I was just watching it, you know, literally two weeks ago. Like I said, maybe I caught like the last half hour of it. What do you think the problem with it is? I mean, aside, if you, t- I, I, I imagine that there's the reveal during the beginning, near the beginning of the movie, that the woman is a cyborg. I think she takes the back of her head off or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that probably is severely dated. But if you take out the special effects <coughs> a- aspect and the whole fight sequences in abandoned factories that have no walls. Yeah, it's just like a a pacing thing. Um, It's one of those movies that, like, there's really not a... It's a really simple story, so there's not, like, a whole lot of, uh, you know, intricate, like, plot lines. It's a very simple story. Somehow, I forget how, because we didn't watch the beginning of the movie this last time around. Basically, he's, like, got to take the cyborg someplace. So he's like taking the cyborg somewhere, and but there's so, something, so there's it's like a road movie. There's something with like, aren't cyborgs illegal? They're not. I don't remember. Some but my point is like it's not a complicated plot line, and yet it just like takes too long to get where it needs to be. To my recollection, it's this is kind of slow. It is very dated. You run into that surprisingly with science fiction a lot. Um, the way like the future is depicted in movies is always reliant on like when it's made and how we view the future. So you get this very post-apocalyptic point of view of the future and you'd think like okay, it's you know like how dated can you know like desert 
<laughs> be and like uh ratty clothes but uh there's just the way that it's handled in that movie and other movies like when we talked about uh mind warp you know that movie's pretty dated you know there's just way things are handled uh in depictions of the future that just is like so of the time when it's made. Yeah, you know, so it, it makes it really dated. That's the, I think, the biggest uh, drawback to doing a science fiction movie is how it's going to be, be viewed in 10, 15, 20 years because it could either age very well, like, say, I take Blade Runner, say, yeah. or even The Fifth Element. That's 20 years old now. I think that's still <coughs> pretty well. But then you get into the, you know, or even like 50s, you know, f- uh, sci fi future noir. But then yeah. you get these movies who, like, at the time, like, I think probably The Road Warrior still holds up pretty, you know. Yeah, I'd say the Mad, I'd say Mad Max. I mean, obviously, clearly, Mad Max is very, like, just can tell from, like, this, the film stock and just, like, the feel of it. It's very much of its time. But I'd say the Mad Max movies, I mean, I haven't seen fucking. Beyond Thunderdome or whatever, and fucking forever. So I can't, I can't talk. I don't think to I think, that. I think once you know, but those movies. Um, but again, it's a very interesting. Uh, they, you have a director behind like those movies that. You know, I think like like John Woo does for this movie kind of ups its game a little bit. Yeah, Miller, really. So it so. That doesn't feel so. You know. Yeah. You know, of its time, and this is much. this recording is, of course, before the premiere of Fury Road, which I cannot wait for because that looks like it's going to be the best movie of the summer 2015. But we digress. <laughs> but Van Damme has done, a, you know, so his he has these, all these kind of crazy movies, and then what's the weird movie where he's in prison? I never remember. Oh, that. I've what never is the seen the name of that movie. I've never seen the um, and and I just had a finally one of our uh, script runners has given me it's Blood Simple is the John Landis movie I couldn't remember from the early nineties. No, it can't be Blood Simple, isn't that the? I'm sorry, Brothers Brothers movie? Simple, uh, Simple Blood isn't it? <laughs> innocent Blood, God, Innocent Blood, Innocent, innocent blood. blood. There's a typo here. Blood <coughs> Simple. That's the first Coen Brothers movie. Yes, Innocent Blood is the. Uh, is the vampire movie that escaped as the beginning of this cast? Yeah. But so Van Damme always had a weird thing, weird pass for me, and it, and it, you know, like I said, I was always a Seagal fan. So, but this Hard Target, much like say Time Cop, is one of these movies that I thought was really cool. And even though I never saw Hard Target, I saw Time Cop in the theater, um, <coughs> which is probably another one we should get to at some. I mean, there's a whole Time Cop is is fun. You, you know, know, Ron Silver. Oh, I love my. We we know. I I I've met Ron Silver uh, maybe two or three times before he passed away, and. <laughs> Yeah. My shtick is, I, I know it's stupid, but uh, I don't know if it's just shtick, but I like, when you when I meet somebody, I like to mention to them something in their work that people don't always bring up. So like when I meet William Shatner, I'm not going to talk to William Shatner about Star Trek, or maybe eventually I will, but I'll say like, hey, I love you in Devil's Reign, you know, and like, yeah, yeah. he's like, whoa, that's even on DVD or whatever. So with Ron Silver, I was like, you know, uh, I loved you in Silent Rage, which is like the Ch- Chuck Norris movie. He's like, jeez, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, no one brings that up anymore. I was like, hey, man. You know, you scared the shit out of me in Silent Rage. You Chuck Norris. That's a, like the, the Ch- Chuck Norris's like envoy into like horror. You know, so it's like, and Ron Silver was such a gentleman, and uh, he's such a great, great bad guy in that um, in uh, Time Cop. I'd say, but you know, as a as a as a Van Damme fan, I'd say Hard Target definitely in like if you're gonna rank Van Damme movies, yeah, it's up there. It would I put it top five for sure. Yeah, and, you know it, what, what happened with me is like. Right around Hard Target, uh, Van Damme kind of peaked for me. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to see that. That looks freaking badass. I know that you know, the premise is great. I, it's like, again, like I said, it slipped through the cracks. But then he got into this weird thing where, like, when John Woo came on the scene, uh, not John Woo, uh, what's his name? The uh, Jackie Chan. Yeah. 
they almost became indistinguishable because there's like a whole run of Van Damme movies where it's like he's got a twin. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> twin. You know, for some reason Van Damme does get into a kind of a into a thing where he's got a lot of twins. There's you know, a lot of like I don't know if it was like he gets paid twice as much if he gets to play two. But there's like there's like it. am I wrong? There's like oh at least there's two. double impact. Yeah, there's maximum risk. Yeah, there's, he's got a twin in there. Is are we gonna? Is there even a third? <laughs> well, there's a movie called like Replicant, where it's like not technically twins, but there's like clones. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think it's called Replicant, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. And then, um, and then there's like two. Ti- there's, I mean, he's not a twin, but there's two Van Dams in Time Cop because there's the present. You know, there's the past. He might Van be setting Dam. a record here for someone who doesn't actually have a twin brother that we know of. <laughs> you know, unless he's like, you know, he's freaking, what's his face? Uh, Screwface from March for Death. <laughs> Maximum <laughs> Risk. I haven't thought about that movie. Natasha Henstridge, Van Damme, classic. Who, so, he, he to me, it, I, <clears> I wouldn't say the right word is jump the shark, but he just, I was like, I don't understand. What the hell's happened in these Van Damme movies? So, like, I, in the mid-90s, <laughs> you know, um, you know. I just I, love the thought <laughs> of you, like, sitting there and just be like, I just, I don't understand it. What is going on with this Van you know, Was Does he have a twin brother that we don't know about <laughs> that he's trying to get some work for that, you know, for some reason has been unsuccessful? I mean, even, I mean, Van Damme has a very, very uh, interesting past as well. Like, there's a. Uh, Double Impact must have made money, and they're like, let's just have him do twins again. I, 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 it's it's so weird because um, there's a there's a, a a movie which escapes me again, which I think I'll, we'll have to put a link in to, to, to the extras on this podcast. Of there's a mid '80s or early '80s uh, breakdancing film. It's one of these movies where it's like at the time where they're like, you know, let's fuck it, we'll make a movie about breakdancing. It's called Breaking. Yes, yes, that's it. Breaking. It takes place now on the West Coast. You think breakdancing? I don't know. I would assume breakdancing is. Is New York City, Bronx, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's on the West Coast or like on Venice Beach, and everybody's breaking, as yeah. you do. <laughs> you do when you're in a movie called Breaking. <laughs> there's like this. You know the scene I'm talking about? I don't know about the scene, but there is like the, the concept is that like there's this girl who's like a dancer. I right? love how and that only you, you know this movie, you know that you know the premise, the plot. And she becomes friends with like these break dancers and she's and she's brought into the breakdancing world. Yeah, and we knew yeah. that there was, there was like this underculture of breakdance. But yeah, so there Not only is there I I'm not positive we might need to put a put a, an intern on this, but I, not only is there a break, I think there might be a break in too. Oh, crash. Well, anyway, there's a scene where everyone's breaking as you do like on the Saturday afternoon on Venice Beach and uh, they're all dancing to like a boombox, and in the background is Van Dam in like uh, uh, he's in speedos, like you know, like bike speedos, sh- bike shorts. He's in bike shorts with like a, a tube top half shirt. So what do you call those? So your stomach's exposed. It's oh like, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a one of those, you know, like a tube top. Yeah. And he and he's doing some of the most insane dance moves you've ever dance moves you've ever seen. And then at one point, the the whoever the heavy is in the movie. They come over and they break up. Like you, you know, you're not supposed to be breaking on this this side <laughs> of the uh, the boardwalk. And everybody stops, and every, like the crowd is like, "Oh, what's going on? This guy shouldn't be saying it to this guy." So you see Van Damme in the background, like he's he's reacting as well. It's it's so this thing has become notorious, and that's how I found it. Someone showed it to me that this scene of Van Damme in it. So we're gonna have to include that scene of Van Damme breaking and doing these crazy, really crazy dance moves in there. But um, I don't know. Do you know how he got into film? Like how how his you know it's like like uh, we talked about how um, in our first cast on the Punisher with uh, Dolph Lundgren how he got on and you know Seagal was like uh, I think Seagal was working on some James Bond films doing some like stunt work and all that and then they were like you know you're so good you should you know, have your own movie and that was the time and like fuck it but make him you know 
give him his own movie. So I don't know how Van Damme had his had his like. I uh, think Van Damme. I mean, he's one of those guys where I think it was just like always his dream to be in movies, and he just kind of pursued it. I mean, um, he didn't do like a. You know where he was from. It you know it, it didn't. Uh, You know, it was it was a long shot from a guy from kid from Brussels to uh, of course to to be able to break into the business. But I feel like he just had the drive. I think he was like a skinny little like geeky kid that just um, saw like Bruce Lee and like Chuck Norris and stuff, and just decided I to like transform his body and become like a martial artist. And we haven't even touched on the uh, there was that huge mid to late 90s Van Damme controversy where people were like suing him because he wasn't supposedly as good as he said he was where he was he was hurting people he was hitting people when he was well he, I know he like blinded some dude on Cyborg which was, is pretty early with roundhouse kicks <laughs> yeah I think he roundhouse he actually he permanently head. blinded somebody I think so yeah or at least like knocked the guy's eye out or something oh my gosh like a stunt man or something and there's a notorious um, Seagal Van Damme feud that yeah, went yeah. on behind the scenes, which I believe I watched the short run, which I loved the short run Seagal reality show where they, where he's like a sheriff. Yeah, they deputized because he lived in in uh, in the county down by uh, little known fact. The parish. Seagal, good guitar player. Yeah, he's a blues guy. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's got his own <laughs> blues band, and uh, he's got a, he wears many hats. Seagal before, <laughs> and and whatever parish down there uh, he lives in, they 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 deputized him like in the eighties, and then he, you know, everyone's like, oh, how the hell does he? You know, riding around as a fucking sheriff on his reality show. It's like they de- they deputize him for whatever reason. Like it's like you know how like um what was it Nixon gave Elvis the honorary yeah, FBI yeah. badge. It was that kind of a ceremony. But then Seagal was like, you know what? You know, should I start doing like you know little exhibitions or little like uh, uh, conferences to sh- show your police how to get out of <coughs> certain situations? So he started doing these little um I don't know, what do you, what do you call these? Not tutorials, but like a little like, yeah. It was like. Sh- Little, like demonstrations. demonstrations. Yeah, so he's doing these teaching things. Officers how to and then you realize, so then he started doing more and more with it. So he got really involved with the local uh, police department, the sheriff's department, to the point where he was doing these ride-alongs for this reality show, and he's actually an expert marksman. And then to prove it, you know, on the reality show, we go to like the range, and you're seeing Sakala's like, oh, fucking, you know, he's, he's, he's got a great freaking, uh, uh, what do you call <laughs> that? Uh, uh, he's putting his bullets, you know, very good, like uh, center mass hits, and yeah. you know, so... They talk about it at some point. Jo- you know, he's sitting in the, in, the, in the passenger seat and they're driving around and, and he, they bring up his, whatever the feud was, where they had a fight. And I think, like, Seagal knocked Van Damme out or something. But There's a lot of weird stories about, like, Vi- like Vin Diesel beating up Van Damme. Yeah, and it's, I don't know what the, you know. I mean, I don't know if, I, I mean, look, I know if Bruce Lee went through it. I mean, I, I don't know. Well, Bruce Lee was notorious because where he was shooting on the Hong Kong streets that everybody wanted to try to get. I mean, people would break into like on his property because everybody wanted to challenge him. And but I mean, I don't know Van. D- I don't recall Van Dam ever like. If he maybe he's uh, a dick, and that's why he, it's like yeah. Like I don't recall Van Dam ever saying that. Like I could kick anybody. To ass. Well, you know what? You if know anybody what I mean? know, like, if anybody is up on this, please tweet us or email us about this. To, so I know so there that we was know. there is something about him and Seagal at some it, sort of it club was, or had something. something to do with. It's one of the reasons why, like they. Like with the expendable movies, like Seagal was going to do the second one, but then yeah. Van Damme's in the second one, and then one. Seagal's like, "I'm not doing it." Yeah, so there's, there's that much of the tension. So this is like a 15 or 20 year old feud that they have. But but the reason I brought up the the, the Seagal reality show is because they talk about it, and Seagal's like, 
<laughs> I, I definitely kicked Van Dam's ass. Don't even bring that up. So it's like, I guess it's a known fact that whatever happened, because I think people were challenging Van Dam's street cred. Like <coughs> you have, say, a Seagal or even like a Bruce Lee who wasn't around at the time. That you yeah, know, yeah. They knew what they were doing, but people were saying, oh, all Van Damme knows how to do is do roundhouse kicks, and he's like a dancer, say. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then people are saying like he's not a martial artist, as you would say. So maybe that's he was trying to purport himself as something else, or I don't know. Well, I always, uh, you know, I always joked that he had some kind of creative control in the editing room because the way Van Damme fight scenes are edited, not so much in Hard Target. There's a couple of spots. But for the most part, Van Damme's, it's like he'll kick somebody in the head, like he'll kick somebody in the face like once, but then there's like three cuts of it. Yeah. So it's, well, like, it's like hit, 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 you know, three different angles. You see the same kick from three different angles. And I always used to joke that it was like the patented, like Jean-Claude Van Damme, like he'd send his contract, he can it. go in. And it turns out, I was watching some, years and years ago, I was watching some like E! True Hollywood Story type show about Van Damme. And what happened was, you know, he really longed to be like a star. So when he got the chance to do Bloodsport, he made it for I'm gonna some somebody like Canon, you know one of those '90s like action. Oh, that that's down defunct. Yeah, I can't remember if it is Canon or not. And they made the movie, and Canon was like, "Yeah, like that's, they were gonna like ditch it or just go straight to video with this it." Is or Bloodsport, something. Bloodsport, with Forrest Whitaker and Bolo, <laughs> and he. Uh, basically, it was like they were not gonna give it the attention that Van Damme really wanted it to have so like Van Damme went into the editing room for like something like 72 hours straight with like with like editors and like recut the entire movie like himself uh, to like up the action and the fight sequences and and I guess invented that Van Damme like well you know it's interesting because and so like it was like I always used to joke that like that's Van Damme's thing and he must have invented that and it turns out like I think he probably did with Bloodsport I, I think you're right because um, like we said at the beginning of this cast that you know he, he went and did like a final cut to cut down Lance Henriksen and uh, Zainabee's uh, yeah. presence in the movie there, I wanted to before we end the cast I want to touch a little more on Lance Henriksen and how badass he's in this movie there's the great scene where Lance Henriksen catches fire yeah, yeah. and Lance Henriksen's on fire and there's like three shots of him taking his you know, they wanted to really like economize like Lance. We have Lance actually on fire <coughs> taking his, his 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 he's a such a badass. We can light yeah, him on yeah. fire, take his trench coat off, and it doesn't affect uh, him. Oh, you fuck. You know, so there's in that shot where he, there's at least three takes of him yeah, like yeah. taking the, sh- the gu- you know, it's like him moving around in a circle and it's just like I mean I can't talk about I mean, I could say Lance would at, was at his peak in this movie, but you know, I I think he could <coughs> be at his peak as well in Aliens as he's playing Bishop. Like I don't know when, you know, he's he's just so good in this movie. Um well, I think he's another reason why we're talking about like, you know, all the reasons why I was thinking saying why I don't think it's dated. It's because like another one is like his performance is so uh it's so good. I mean, he's so interesting. You know, like, you and I have always loved... I mean, for some reason, we're talking about The Professional a shitload in this fucking podcast. Because well, it's, it's kind of... You know, it, they, they, they... Well, they, you and I have always loved, like, Gary Oldman's performance oh, in that who movie. Who does And I remember, it, like, in the... In, like, when we lived together at college, like, I bought this magazine. I guess maybe he had No My Mouth coming out. Yeah. Which was his, his directorial debut. He did... What did he do? He did something for that. He did... I think he did the... the um, uh, he did Luke Besson's movie. We just said the the uh, what's the future one? I just oh, uh, Fifth Fifth Element. Yeah, he did Fifth Element to get the money to do Nell by Mouth, which I think no one's ever seen. But it finally got a DVD release. But there's this. In, I was reading the, this interview 
and he like really talked like how he was very embarrassed by that performance of in oh, the professional. Oh, because he's so much overacting. Over yeah, the top. and how like in in England or like in Europe, like he, the critics really bashed him for being like so over the top, and, and really it's thought of as being like a really awful performance. But it's something that you and I always like loved about that movie was his like really crazy like coked out over the top well, chewing it up scenery in, it plays into like he's so I mean at the time he was having bouts with alcoholism I think that might be near the end of him his drinking because I don't think he's drank in like yeah, 20 yeah. years uh, but he so he was having a lot of issues on set but I think it works so well but there's, I, there's well, no, but yeah. in the correlation with Lance Henriksen I guess you could maybe say that he's a little over the top and he's that you know like overacting a little bit but I just think it's awesome like I just think it, it I think it just it's right for this movie. His performance is the right performance for that character in this movie. Yeah, I don't think it... I mean, if you gave it to anybody else, I can't see anybody else doing this. I mean, it's so... And near the end of the movie, when they freaking go after, he gets it together like... He, he, he must get local badasses together <laughs> from all over the country. He's just like, thank you very much for coming on such short notice, but you're going to pay me $750,000 for Van Damme. Well, I guess they're all past people and it's also if you look at them that he's talking about like to to hunt van damme he brings back what i believe is supposed to be like past clients clients that have oh. hunted because like the guy in the beginning of the movie is one of them the oh. guy in the very first scene and then you have that guy who's in a score of uh, i was gonna say movies. it's like it's like a in a way it's like a stunt man's like who's who <laughs> is that group of guys it's that you have that one guy who's like i don't know who he is uh, we should we should learn his name because and he should become a patron side of this, this site because he's in like every 80s action movie but he's in that really loud 80s t-shirt yeah, yeah, in the cigar the cigar and he's he's in like in a half a dozen he's also he shows up in i think universal soldier He's, yeah, one yeah. Of the, he's one of the universal he's soldiers. Like a, he's probably just like a Van Damme stunt. Yeah, because he's in a shitload of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. You know, there's like a there's a guy that I don't know his name of that sh- shows up in a shitload of De Niro movies, and it's just like you know maybe De Niro's like, hey, come on, you know, I'm gonna get you some yeah, work, yeah. and that guy seemed like you know the thing uh, the same well, but uh, yeah, Lance is so freaking awesome in this movie. He's got some great lines, like he yells at a guy saying, "You're a fucking buffalo," and I don't even know what the hell that means, and it's like. You know, at the end of the movie, he, it's like he doesn't care about anybody else except uh, Zainabi, you yeah. know, and, um, it, you know, he's got a really awesome gun in the movie. He's got, it's called like a, 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 a Thompson single action contender where it's a single load and evidently um, the gun itself, you could take the, the different barrels off so it can accept different cartridges. And it's great at the end of the movie when he has the girl and he's all burnt and he's like, you know, what does he say? He's like, load me, you know, and it's like yeah. very sexy and it's just, you know, and then he does a lot of. I think it's an interesting character choice. He does a lot of, like, stabilizing the gun. You know, like, putting his thumb up and, like, making it like a like a stand yeah. to, like, stabilize it. But yet he's, like, the worst shot. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then <laughs> he doesn't hit anything with it. <laughs> it's, he's, yeah. like, you know, putting it over his hand, his arm. He does, a lot of, he does a lot of business with it, which is fun. And then there's a real, which impressed me, there was a shot where... Um, where where the uh, when they jump onto the train, uh, luckily for them they were able to uh, get away. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> luckily there was a train going under with like just a whole load of like boxes, <laughs> car- empty cardboard boxes <laughs> that they the were already built, jumped down to. But they must have planned the shot because you see Lance, he's trying to take aim and he's not able to because he gets out of range. And then yeah. they play about it like 
I don't know, 20 or 30 seconds of dialogue while the train's getting away, and it's and, and, and as well as he's, like, doing some cool shit where he, like, ejects the cartridge, he puts another one in, and he's he's licking it or something. It's like, it's like you know, that's, like, really cool, so I don't know how many takes, because you have to back up a freight train. That's going to take a while, you know? You can only maybe do that, you know, in an hour. You probably get two shots out of that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, pretty impressive that him and uh, Zainabee were able to um, to get stuff done. Um Anything to say about the female actress? Uh, Yancy Butler, she, in the early 2000s, was on a TV show, maybe called, like, Witchblade or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. The only significance is that it was the executive producer and the guy that wrote the pilot movie for that movie was our screenwriting teacher, J.D. Zyke. Did J.D. Zyke do that? Who also wrote Ronin. Yeah. Um, Which he's got other... If we ever get into the Ronin, he could tell. And then, like, that that show did pretty well. I never watched it. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, I think it's Witchblade. And uh, and then that's that. it fell apart because right around that time, there was some kind of thing where she, like, beat her husband or something. She I, beat her I, husband? Yeah, I recall that that's there was some hot. kind of, like, dom- of domestic dispute and where d- she was, that like... Brutal. lost the... The show because I feel like that was around the same time, wow. so I feel like you know, to my recollection, it's like one of the reasons why that show went under. But I don't know, maybe the show went under and then that happened. I could be mistaken. Um, and this also has one of a great another one of those macho speeches where it's like you know, you have the guy boosting up whoever, whoever he is, if he's like the head villain or he's like the head villain's like man who they're hunting the hero, and he's like, you know, he. He has like you know he's a badass. He's he's able to do whatever. And like you know, Lance kind of says it to his guys when they're yeah, getting yeah. ready to go after. He's Van like Damme. the Colonel Troutman. Yeah, he's, speech yeah, it's, the, Cur- it's the Colonel Troutman speech, which you see like for Seagal and um, uh, uh, what's the name of that movie? Michael, <laughs> we never know anybody in the movies. And it's a Seagal movie. You should know the that. the one that well, it was really <laughs> over the top. Where that that's when he jumped the shark. The Michael Caine movie with the old oh. Uh, on Deadly Ground. On Deadly Ground. Yeah, because yeah. there's a scene where Arlie Ermey's saying his, like, he's a badass. He can fuck people on the ass. You know, it's, like, you know, it's, like, it's, one of the, it's the Colonel Troutman speech. So you have the Colonel Troutman speech in here. Um, you have uh, a great use of ropes. <laughs> and at the end, where it's like, you know, who would have known? There's somersaults in the movie. And then I love, you know, at the end of the movie, you and you close the movie out with some CCR. Some CCR, you Born know, in the Bayou. That must have been a pretty penny to get Born in the Bayou. So, like, that was, they saved, though. You know what? We can't have the whole movie be. You know, we're we're just gonna get some Joe Blow to do like some blues guitar and s- slide, and we're gonna save the the, the purse for on the buy for the end to pay for um, that licensing right. A very funny snake scene, snake built by KB Studios. Yeah, <coughs> where Van Damme punches a snake in the face to <laughs> knock it out. It's so funny. Then Lance ends up shooting it, and then like I said, Lance has great lines. He says like, "Why didn't he go fishing?" It's like it's so funny. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like we skipped over a lot, but at the same time, you just like got to watch the movie. We really <laughs> you know, about we're it. almost we're almost at the <laughs> length. You know, a great plantation that he on. Uh, you know, uh, there's some weird stuff with the with the with the medical examiner at one point. I didn't know if he was in on. He's yeah, in very on. creepy. You know, like really over the top. Like I'm up to something kind of look the whole time. Yeah. So it's you know. Uh, so but uh, Wilford Brimley, I think not not enough can be said about no that, Wilford about Brimley. His, yeah, and it's not like he's passed away or anything. We're just, you know maybe we can even get him on the cast. You know, and and. Like we did say, we it's 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 interesting if you can, uh, for the layman to try to count on your hand how many movies you can think of Wilford Brimley being, and we already have in the in the breach another Wilford Brimley coming up. <laughs> I think it's the next cast as well. It might be. I think it depends it's the, on no, the, and that's going to be a if real we have an epiphany while we're at the store. Yeah, but at the, the but video we, store. we already have. We just got to see if we could if it's still available on VHS because this thing is going on this. Right now, it's probably the, the only way you can get it is on VHS. Yeah, uh, or on YouTube. I know it's available on YouTube, our next thing, but it's not on Netflix. It's really hard to get. So, But that's our next... It's a teaser for our next movie. It's a, it's a Wilford Brimley classic, and it's one of these movies where I think <coughs> everybody knows about, 
but nobody's thought of since the movie went away. So that's a little. I guess maybe we have to do it now that we're teasing it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but, if, uh, if, yeah. Because it's so. If so, that may uh, make why. Wilford Brimley may become the patron saint right now <laughs> of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Um, the, other, the only other thing I would say about Bloodsport is like... Great Bloodsport, Hard Target. I mean, uh, <laughs> Hard Target. Bloodsport, maybe that'll get done at some point. But Hard Target, great poster. Yeah, it is a like it's a very poster. Like it's an iconic uh, image. One of uh, Van Damme's uh, best, I would say, in terms of... Uh, yeah, and I, I, I completely agree with you. That is, this is probably top five Van Damme. I couldn't tell you what the other four would be. Maybe Time Cop would be up there and maybe like either... Uh, kickboxer or blood. Uh, I blood would sport. say if I was going to go for me, I would say Bloodsport. Yep. No particular order. Bloodsport, Hard Target. I like Time Cop. Okay. You got to get one of the twins in there. <laughs> I love the movie that there's a movie he did with Rob Schneider, Sui Hark. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Paul Savino's the bad guy. Knock. Knock off. Knock off. I love Knock Off. <laughs> what was up with Rob Schneider being? Uh, the, the the poor you know the the sidekick in, in, in and four uh, or five Stallone movies and uh, if I wanted to get Artie I would say JCVD I know JCVD <laughs> is is, is <laughs> which is actually pretty good I saw that at the movie theater it's the poor man's the wrestler for that year yeah it really you know? was yeah you know, well, what's his face is Mickey Rourke's the wrestler which I love but I'm not taking anything away from that but it was the poor man's wrestler um, what about Legionnaire which I've never Legionnaire seen. it's like there's no martial arts in that movie which is what's weird well it had one of the craziest marketing marketing campaigns in the world where it, it was the uh, they they tried to do it reverse right yeah it came out like on TNT or something and then like they that. then they put it on VHS and they were going to put it in the movie theater and it never really worked oh well I haven't still that's another Van Damme movie I've never seen but you know maybe we'll get around well, there's to that a slew too. of like Legionnaire and in between Legionnaire and like JCVD there's like a slew of Van Damme movies that like I don't really remember there's a bunch of Universal Soldier movies I know see I definitely think we, I definitely think Universal Soldier would be in my top five Van Damme actually I would say you know if that is such a crazy it, I, I remember loving that movie uh, if I was going to go with if you're going to if I was going to bump JCVD for another like action movie I would I would probably put you in Bruce. I remember that being really good. And then uh you know, I that's that's another for another cast, but I guess it's <laughs> weirdly weird because they went away and then they came back and they're in it and they're back and there's like I don't know, there's five or six of those. There's like five or six. But yeah. I feel like Van Damme hasn't had the success that say a Seagal has, where Seagal has really profited on the um on the straight to D V D or direct vi- the straight to video market, you know, where Van Damme I think has been Well there's another JD's like connection with the Seagal movie. Why? What's what's there's another one with Lance Henriksen? The one that oh god, I don't remember the name of that <laughs> movie. That's a great that. movie. They shot it in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Oh crap, that was a really good movie. Uh, it, it's interesting. That 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 was really good because it's, it's it was it really uh, highlighted some of Seagal. You don't really see Seagal doing a good Aikido anymore. It's always like either close ups. What is the you know, name of that one? Uh, I don't know. It's something. But Lance Henriksen plays the bad guy. Yeah, they only got him for like three days because they haven't brought been the same up location. Zeke, who was the executive producer and writer of Witchblade, uh, uh, and he wrote that. And when when I met and he and he said JD Zyke said that, that movie was actually written for as a Daniel Day Lewis vehicle. Which the movie we're talking about? Yeah, the Van, the C- Steven Seagal movie. Uh, when did you talk to Z- JD Zyke since then? Because that, that movie's fairly recent. I don't know. Whenever we whenever we watched it, whenever I watched it, you, you, I, I you, emailed him. Uh, oh, um, I'll have to see what that movie, that, the name of that movie is. It's in. The, it was like the last movie in that book I bought you, or. Did you yeah, get it on yourself? I, I don't remember. No, you bought me a book for Christmas, a, a Steven Seagal book, which was phenomenal. It's all it it it, um, it talks about every Seagal movie he's done, and it, it was it was a love letter to Seagal. It wasn't in any way bashing him, but um, it was like a celebration of his. Of yeah, his and they and they, they really critique each one, and even the the you know all the the recent ones, the uh, the, the the movies that he's done that are. Um, 
that that are um, that, that are direct to video that are very good. Pistol whipped. Pistol two thousand eight. Yeah. Great Seagal Seagal movie because for people who are Seagal fans, you know he doesn't really do that much Aikido anymore, and when he does, it's very close up. You can't tell if it's him. He's got a little weight, so they want to. In this movie, a lot of it's done long shots. So you see him actually doing crap. Uh, the action's very well done. It's shot up in Bridgeport. Which is interesting, and there's there's a great uh, story behind it, if I remember correctly. I remember watching it, really liking it. And then I, I remember, I guess I recommended you it recommended to you. recommended it to me, and I watched. And it, then yeah. you went to watch it a, a, as you do, and it was just. And then what did you? You went and contacted JD, and you were yeah. like, hey. Yeah, I don't remember. I think I made it had a question about something else, and I just brought up the fact that I had just watched. And he's it. like, it's a Daniel Day Lewis vehicle. Like, oh, like, you know, and when you're like, well, Dan, Dan, Daniel Day Lewis has only done ten movies. How <laughs> would you try to get him to entice him into like a a a, a, a genre C <laughs> level action movie? I don't know. I guess it wasn't meant to be I a C level action movie that's originally. crazy so uh we have to wrap this up how many would you this, this is this cast has become as long as the as the uh, movie itself it's the director's commentary how many stars sleepover star uh, no how many mega joe colas i would i mean I, you know I, I i last few movies i've just been given fives but and i would like to give this a five but well, don't don't you can't you can't not give it a five because you've named i just feel like i don't know you know i like i don't know if i love it as much as i love some of the other movies, but four for for <laughs> what it is. Let's go four. Okay, four yeah. point four and a half. Four, four point five out of five. Wow, <laughs> four and a half. Mega joke is my for sleep for what stars. it is. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's like I said, it's definitely top five Van Damme movies. I'm a Van Damme fan. There you go. We talked about how it's not dated for like '90s action movies, or as so as a lot of other '90s action yeah. movies. I think it's like it, like it's. I think for for an action movie, uh, especially of its time period. Stylistically, it's it's interesting. I think it's good. I'm going to give it four four and a half. I'll give it three. Three out of five. Good solid. Good solid genre action movie that doesn't disappoint. Uh, in, in great <coughs> performances by the aforementioned Lance Henriksen, Wilfred Brimley, uh, your Zena B, uh, <laughs> yeah, Arnold Zena B. Uh, Zolo, um, and uh, of course um, Van Damme and your other girl there, Nancy uh, the, Butler. Yeah, Nancy Butler, who's the uh, what's her name? Yancey. Yancey, I said Nancy. Yancey Butler, who's evidently uh, the, the convicted of domestic abuse. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. 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 So, uh, well, thank you again for listening to another uh, exciting episode of and, Saturday Night Movie And I, I apologize for the coughing and the we just feeling a little You know what we, we've learned, if anything, now is we just got to uh, shut that window when we watch uh, yeah. these movies. Apologize. I'm sure it was not fun to listen to. You know. um, and uh, please check us out next time. We've already uh, teased what we're doing. It's it's a, it's a Wilford Brimley classic. <laughs> Although I don't think he's a lead in it. But, <laughs> no. Uh, he's, is he a lead in any movie? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Cocoon, you could say. He's one of the, it's an ensemble. But we're not doing Cocoon. We should let no, people no, know. It's, it's, it's not, <laughs> not to say we have anything against Cocoon. Cocoon maybe at some point. Yeah. But not, no, we're, and it's but not, not Cocoon. Ne- not next time. Yeah, it's because Cocoon, I still feel like people remember. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, thank you for listening. Check us out on uh, Facebook.com. We're on Twitter. Uh, you can check us out at uh, Saturday. Um, we're at SaturdaySleepovers.podwoods.com. On Twitter, we're Sat Sleepovers, at Sat Sleepovers. Uh, Blake and I do the sidecast on the Podwits. Check us out at Podwits.com. Uh, Facebook. Uh, with Facebook, we're on we're on. Uh, um, uh, what do you call that damn thing? We're on iTunes. We're on uh, uh, Podroid. Uh, Blake, if they want to check your music out, you play. JBlakeBlues.com. J Blake plays classical music at JBlakeBlues.com. Just kidding. Blake plays the blues. Uh, and please tell a friend about us. Let people know. Share us. Uh, write in. Tell us what you think about yeah, we're stuff. We're still looking for... Uh, people have been people have been starting to uh, give us recommendations, which is great. We, want, we just want them to keep pouring in and let us know about what you think about the cast. Let's... 
create a discussion about these movies that we're doing. We can join in with what you think about Hard Target, whatever, or these other movies. Um, yeah, and, and tell people about us. Let's let's keep it going, and we'll see you in two weeks. And uh, we'll have a great <laughs> Wolf of Brimley <laughs> extravaganza for you. Imagine now we get there, and it's like we're completely mistaken. Wolf of Brimley's not in this movie <laughs> that, that we're talking about. It'd be horrible. It's somebody else. It's somebody else with a big old mustache and glasses. Uh, and it's not a Quaker Oats commercial or a diabetes commercial. So until next time, later. Once there was a civilization in the endless reaches of the universe, much like ours, there once existed a planet known as Krypton, but with greater intelligence, a planet that burned like a green star in the distant heavens, greater powers. Their civilization was far advanced and it brought forth a race of supermen whose mental and physical powers were developed to the absolute peak of human perfection and a greater capacity for good. But there came a day when giant quakes threatened to destroy Krypton forever. In one tragic moment, that world was destroyed. One of the planet's leading scientists, sensing the approach of doom, placed his infant son in a small rocket ship and sent it hurtling in the direction of the Earth, just as Krypton exploded. But there was one survivor. A passing motorist found the uninjured child and took it to an orphanage. Because of the wisdom and compassion of Jor-El, because he knew the human race had the capacity for goodness, he sent us his only son. As the years went by and the child grew to maturity, he found himself possessed of amazing physical powers. His name is Kal-El. Faster than a speeding bullet. He will call himself Clark Kent. More powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single pound. But the world will know him as Superman. Look! Look at this guy! It's Superman! Join Jay Marcus of the Potlets and his special guest each month as they explore the history of the Man of Steel. Only on the Planet Podcast. Part of the Podwitz Podcast Network. Log on to superman.podwitz.com for details.